This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. It's the Blood Red podcast. I'm Guy Clark, and as we wait for the curtain to be raised, we've plenty to get stuck into this Friday afternoon. Alongside me are three of the Echo's finest as we get set to talk Saturday's Community Shield with Arsenal, including giving our lineups, Klopp keeping tight lipped on Genie's contract wish at Liverpool, plus what lays in store for Rian Brewster. Oh, and some player called Lionel Messi. To get into all of that, it's a pleasure to say we've the Echo's Liverpool correspondent, Paul Gorst, with us. Gorsty, how are you keeping? Not bad, guy, yeah. It uh, almost feels like a return to the, the glory days of last year, doesn't it? With a Friday press conference, a game on a Saturday, and we're back into the thick of it. But still, uh, still a few weeks away from the, the real stuff. Yeah, and albeit we've had to wait till the end of August to get to this stage. Dan Kay's also with us. Dan, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks, Guy. It's um, it's feeling a little bit wintry out there, bearing in mind it's only late August, but as Gorsi said, it's nice to be kind of slowly getting back into that weekend football rhythm and routine, and uh, I think we're all looking forward to seeing you know, some form of competitive action tomorrow with uh, another trophy at stake. Yeah, it certainly is the case, and Theo Squires is also along for the ride. Theo, how are you? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks, mate. Uh, you changed rooms. It looks like you're in a hostage video or something with your mirror. Where's your living room? <laughs> oh, he's trying to get back at me here. Yeah, no, I'm I'm just in the kitchen actually, uh, up against a, a blank wall. Thought I'd change it up, and uh, yeah, this is <laughs> this is where we've come to and where we've settled on. Well, guys, we we best then react to Jurgen Klopp's press conference that's been taking place this afternoon. Looking ahead, of course, to the Community Shield game, but so often is the case, Gorsty, that little of the chat's actually directly on the match involved and kicking things off today it was all about a certain Lionel Messi <laughs> yeah <clears throat> Sky wasn't who started the press conference off and um, they always have a kind of agenda setter that they like to throw things at, at, at managers and we see it all the time and obviously Lionel Messi and, and the future of him was, was today's big topic so he asked Klopp about it and he actually said well he wants to win the Champions League and this is his big obsession you and your team is probably one of the favourites for that tournament next season you know, why wouldn't you be in the hunt for Messi? And he said, why wouldn't any team want Messi, which is understandable. You know, Lionel Messi for me is the greatest of all time. So you can see why he would be of interest. But, you know, Klopp quickly shuts down. He said that the wages are just a, a non-starter, even if he was to significantly take a huge pay cut on his, you know, reports of, was it 900,000 a week or something silly like that? I think he earns 50 million per year after tax. Um Unfortunately, that's not an area, a kind of area that Liverpool can can go to, which is a shame. But um, he he said, if he comes to the Premier League with Manchester City, you know, it would be great to see him in the Premier League. But that will make Liverpool's job harder, and that's probably stating the obvious. But um, I still probably think Messi Messi stays at Barcelona, to be honest. Yeah, it is an interesting one and one that's obviously engulfed the agenda for the whole of world football. Plenty of podcasts talking about it all week. Dan, what are your thoughts on the whole Messi situation? And did you let yourself get any way excited about if he may end up at Anfield at all? To be honest, that guy, I was very much in the camp where I, I don't particularly want him at Anfield. Not now, not, not at the age he is now. If it had been five, ten years ago, that's a different story, but... It's clear that, you know, obviously things have gone badly awry at Barcelona over a number of years. This isn't just one bad season. This has been coming for a while. I would kind of, you know, endorse what Dorsey, what Gorsi said there and that it would not surprise me one bit if he does actually end up staying at Barcelona. Yeah, the, the, there's a lot of politics within Spanish football, particularly obviously with presidential elections and, and that type of thing. Obviously, we saw one of the prospective 
Barcelona candidates alleging that he'd, he'd had tentative talks with Jurgen Klopp's representatives earlier this week. So if I was a betting man, I kind of probably would ex- would expect that, that, that he may end up actually staying at the, at the camp now. But, I mean, obviously, he's, a, he's an unbelievable player, one of the greatest who have played the game without any question at all. I was privileged to be in the new camp last May to see him spank that free kick past Allison. I remember the first time I saw him in the flesh in 2007 when Liverpool played Barca in the last 16 of the Champions League. And even though he was only really at the start, I think he'd only been the team a year or two then, I just always remember kind of like the sense of electricity almost. It was like a jolt went through everyone in the stadium when he picked up the ball. Knew this was a very, very special footballer. But, you know, if, if we know one thing about Jurgen Klopp and the Liverpool team that he is built into, you know, the Champions of England, Champions of the World, you know, like not quite reigning Champions of Europe anymore, is it's all about the team. And aside from the financial aspects and, and how that would complicate matters in terms of wage structure and all that, all that, I just think putting him into a superstar player like that into the dressing room would fly in the face, really, of everything that Klopp has preached and has put into practice over the last five years. So I noticed we did have a little bit of a debate on the site didn't we, a couple of days ago with um, Joe arguing that we shouldn't sign him and, and Kiva arguing that, that we should. And low though I am to agree with our despotic leader, I had to agree with Joe that, you know, for me, I, I wouldn't want to see him at Anfield now. The ego's massive. And to be honest, there's a part of me that actually wouldn't mind seeing him go to Manchester City because I'm not sure what their team needs right now is another massive ego. Of course, he'll score some brilliant goals and be involved in some great moments. But will he make the difference in terms of the the the, the, the gap they need to, to make up to, to catch Liverpool? I'm not so sure. So really interesting to see how it pans out. But no, I, I, he, he's not one I want to see in a red shirt. So... Yeah, Dan alluded to it there, Theo. Jurgen Klopp did hint that it would be nice to see Messi maybe in the Premier League if he were to join Man City. Is that him being polite? Because I have to say that if I were a Liverpool manager or supporter looking at it, I I wouldn't want Messi anywhere near Manchester City. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's one where he is just being polite. It's one where I think everyone is realising what special talent Messi is and how privileged we are to see him play. Um, If he goes to Manchester City, Unlike Dan, I think it, it would make a big difference. I reckon that's enough. Like, Bar- granted, Barcelona, they haven't had the best year, but they've been in a poor state for a number of years now. And how many times have they won the Liga? And he's basically carried them through. If he went to a Manchester City, he'd have the same impact. Um, you look at the impact, say, Cristiano Ronaldo's had at Juventus. It doesn't matter that they're in their early, mid-30s. They are two of the greatest players the planet has ever seen. And they will make an impact no matter how old they are. They would be the best players on the pitch. But wage-wise, it just can't happen when he's probably, what, he's on nearly a million a week. Liverpool, highest earners, you say, that's going to be, what, 200,000 roughly, if we're guessing. And you'd think the likes of Salah, Van Dijk, they're going to have match highest earner clauses in those deals. So it's just not feasible from that point of view. But like the two have just said, I think it's a power play from Messi. Uh, He knows how much power he's got at that club, how much control he's got at that club. Um, he's not been happy with the Champions League exits. He's not been happy with some of the signings, the choice of managers. Uh, he doesn't get on with the current president. I think there was a report yesterday, actually, from the president saying he would resign right now if Messi came out and publicly said that he was going to stay. The fans obviously want him to stay. And it's probably just going to be one of those with the elections coming next year that Messi gets what he wants. He's not going to... Like if Barcelona lost Messi, it would alienate that entire fan base. And while they could then use those monies to probably rebuild the squad the way they need to, he's just got too much power for them to lose. He knows exactly what he's doing. 
Um, on a lesser scale, we've seen it in the Premier League before, haven't we? With Wayne Rooney, a couple of times he threw his toys out the pram to get what he wanted at Manchester United and it worked. Um, if Rooney can do it, Messi certainly can do it. Yeah, I have to say, personally, I'm I'm not so sure on this one. I think Messi it might be him actually wanting to agitate for a move, obviously, after that Liverpool first leg. He spoke about how he wanted, obviously, the Champions League to return to Barcelona. Didn't happen, as you say. Bartomeu has said that if Messi says, I'll stay, he'll resign. But things not playing out. That one's not going to go away anytime soon, though. And, of course, the another issue that seems to very much be rumbling under and beginning now to, to rear its head is uh, Ginny Wijnaldum's contract and what's going on there. Jurgen Klopp was also asked about that today. He was, and he basically just said, didn't he, it's a, it's a situation between the club and the player and, and it'd be remiss of him to kind of publicly discuss that, which is what you'd expect him to say. I think he probably might have got more out of, out of Jurgen Klopp if he would have been asked um, how important is he to you because he played 37 times last season. I think he played more minutes than... I know he played more minutes than any other Liverpool midfielder. Um, more minutes than any other midfielder in the Premier League, I think. So he's obviously one of the first names on the team sheet. So Klopp doesn't want to lose him, you'd imagine. Um, so how much does Klopp want to keep him? What's the what's the issue behind the scenes? There's no active talks at the moment. Uh, we found that out recently. So um, you would have to assume that, you know, Van Alden's value is dwindling by the day and Liverpool aren't going to be offering him a, a new deal. So... Does that mean he's going to walk away at the end of next season on a free transfer, you know, similar to Emre Chan? Or the Liverpool are going to look to cash in this summer? I think it's it's a difficult situation for, for, for Klopp and Liverpool. I think my guess would be they don't try to sell him this summer and try to get him a new contract. But if not, they're prepared for him to leave on a free transfer next summer. Yeah, Theo, I'll come to you on this because you did mention it actually a couple of weeks ago. You were going to say, I'll, I'll call it now. I think the same as what happened with Emre Chan will happen with Vinaldum. And at the moment, the club do seem to sort of be a deadlock stalemate in terms of any talks. Gorsley saying no active talks underway right now. Yeah, I think uh, it's been that situation for a while now. Liverpool, obviously, uh, they suspended any contract and transfer talks when lockdown started. And whilst we've seen, I think, Curtis Jones, he got his new deal recently. Obviously, they've signed Simicast. There's been no attempt from the, at the moment to open talks with Junior Wijnaldum. And it is an interesting one because he's been so vital for Liverpool ever since he joined. Um, and he's had this role built for him sort of thing where he could easily be a squad player that you could bring off the bench to be, oh, he's your attacking midfielder, he's your holding midfielder, whatever. But that's not something that really appeals to him. He wants to be starting games. And I think the writing's been on the wall for him for a little while and the fact that Liverpool, they brought in Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, they brought in Naby Keita. You think if you've got all your players fully fit, firing, Wijnaldum's probably one in the midfield who loses out to one of those two. Everyone wants to see Naby Keita at his best and that is what you'd expect to be the change. And it might be for Wijnaldum now, he's looking at it and thinking, well, he's won the Champions League, he's won the Premier League. He doesn't need to achieve anything else at Liverpool. He's got the big trophies, he's got the medals that he came for. He could go now and achieve whatever he wanted. But we've seen the links with uh, Barcelona reuniting with Ronald Koeman. We know how well he's done for the Netherlands. Every single international break, we've been saying, oh, why don't we see that genuine Alden for Liverpool? But to then go and do it, say, at Barcelona, at Camp Nou, it would be a dream move for any player. He'd get his big payday. And then we also know all the links that what it could mean for Thiago Alcantara, where if Wijnaldum goes, Liverpool would maybe be freed up to make a move for Wijnaldum. Um it's one of those where Klopp, when he said with Emery Chan, he didn't want to lose him and a year early because you wouldn't be able to replace him and get someone better for what you could do. And I think it's going to be the same with Ronaldo. Like if you lost him now and you sold him now, 
the chances are, unless you're guaranteed you're getting Thiago, you're not getting a better replacement there. He's going to be one of the best players you can have for this season coming ahead. And then it's just a case of if Barcelona came in and say, offer you 20 million, do you take it now? Or would you rather have him for the season? And then if you could go for Thiago, like for like. But it's an interesting one to keep an eye on because as soon as Klopp was asked the question, I, I was watching it, I was thinking, this is exactly the same as what happened with Emery Chan. It's the exact same sort of answer. And if he is still here when the window closes, it's going to be another 12 months of that with um, Klopp playing it down every week, saying, oh, it can still be sorted or whatever. And then only when the season comes to its end, he said, oh, yeah, we've known for months actually that he was leaving. Yeah, how important actually, Dan, is Gini Wijnaldum for Liverpool? And maybe did they even miss a trick if you go back to the Barcelona second leg game? He started on the bench. They've spoken about how he was angry. He was on the bench, came off, of course, and scored a couple of goals. Was that maybe the moment when Liverpool should have looked to tie him down and as I say how important is he because Gorsty's illustrated just how many minutes he played last season he's a trusty player for Jurgen Klopp I think I think he's a hugely important player and I've said a number of times this summer that in my opinion getting his signature on a new deal would be one of the most important deal one of the most important deals Liverpool would strike this summer obviously we've reached the point now getting towards the end of August where he hasn't signed a new deal and you know obviously we know the window's open until what first week of October so another six weeks or so and you would imagine the, the the market will start to move a little bit quicker as the season happens, as the season gets underway. There'll you know, inevitably a couple of teams will have a few bad results and there'll be a bit of, you know, a little bit of panic buying going on. I think one of the reasons why he's such an important player for Liverpool is his versatility. I've, I've used the term factotum about him before, and that you can almost put him in any position across that midfield and he'll do a decent job. And that Barcelona semi-final really kind of provides a good example for it because if you remember in the first leg at at, at Camp Nou, um, I think I'm right in saying Firmino was, was already struggling with that injury that basically kind of ruined the rest of his season. So when Adam actually started the game in an advanced, you know, basically as, as, in the Firmino role as part of the group three, didn't have that bad a game. Obviously, it looked terrible on the, on the face of it because Liverpool lost 3-0 and to all intents and purposes were out. It was a surprise, I suppose, to a certain degree that Klopp chose not to start him for the second leg, bearing in mind how many players he was already without that night. Salah, um, Firmino, Navi Keita. Um, you, might, you might also argue it was a brilliant bit of um, man management because obviously Wijnaldum was so wound up that when he came off the bench at half-time, he scored those two unforgettable goals in the space of 120 seconds early in the second half that kind of drew to the whole level. So... You know, I, I, to be honest, I think I'm, I'm in the same camp as, as the other two lads. I think, sadly, we, we, he is probably coming towards the end of his Liverpool career. I think it will come to... Unless something changes drastically, I think what will happen, what what happened with Emre Chan will happen again. And, we'll, you know, it, it definitely makes... If you're not going to get top money for him and you're not going to be able to get in a top class replacement, it absolutely makes sense to keep him until the end of the season. You know, in the early days of the Bosman ruling, Liverpool were stunned quite badly, weren't they, with Steve McManaman walking away for free, Michael Owen walking for eight million, which was you know, it was all intents and purposes, almost a free, bearing in mind his market value at the time. But bearing in mind Liverpool paid twenty five million, I think, for for yeah. one album in the summer of, of twenty fifteen. Twenty sixteen. Yeah. Sixteen. So if if he was to leave in the summer of twenty twenty one for a free, I think you know, I think it would be impossible to say that Liverpool have not had value for money from him over that over the last five years. Even if, personally, I, I just think he's a cracking player. He seems a really important part of the squad and the dressing room. And I would love somehow, you know, uh, 
something to be organised and arranged that he could stay on. But as Theo pointed out, you, you couldn't really necessarily begrudge him a move. He's won everything there is to Liverpool. He's getting to, to that kind of age, 29, 30, where he might be looking for one more challenge. And I wouldn't begrudge him it. But I, I hope we get one more good last year out of him and a couple more medals in his, in his cabinet. Yeah, so he's got one year left on his deal, Gorsty. And I think a lot of people listening to this will probably be screaming at their headphones or their car radios, however they're listening, saying, Tiago Alcantara. Theo's mentioned his name. And I think a lot of people would say, well, move Vinaldum on, bring in Tiago. It's logical, but they're not really similar players, are they? Tiago's a brilliant passer and a playmaker and distributor from, from deep foot sides. Genie Vinaldum, as Dan alluded to, he slots into many different roles and is a multifunctional player for Jurgen Klopp. Yeah, he, he does a lot of work off the ball, doesn't he? That almost goes a little bit unnoticed by people who don't don't necessarily think he's he's a top draw player. I think um, they are different types, aren't they? Thiago, somebody who looks to get on the ball, they take the tempo with an incredible passing range. He can play any type of pass. Juan Aldum is someone who shuttles around, closes the spaces for the opposition, makes sure that Liverpool's defence is watertight. And when he when he gets it, he, he gives it and plays it quite simple to the front three and. To the fullbacks, and um, he's not—he's not a typical number six in, in the way that Fabinho is, but he's certainly someone who does his, his fair share and more of, of defensive work, and, and has massively contributed to Liverpool having the, the best defensive record in the Premier League over the last two seasons. Um, on the face of it, it, it sounds simple, doesn't it? You know, trying to sell one Alderman and trying to bring in Thiago, but it doesn't necessarily work that way. And would it kind of unbalance Liverpool's? First team possibly at a time when you're looking at Navigator, you know, he's had a massive impact post lockdown, and you're looking at him thinking now's his chance to finally kickstart his own career and become a, a mainstay in that midfield. So it's a, it's a tough one to, to, to find balance and act that the bill needs to get right in that midfield because it's so important to kind of how they, how they play and how they operate. Yeah, staying with you, Gorsty, and we'll go around and have an opinion on this because a thought just sort of occurred to me and listening to Jurgen Klopp's press conference today, he spoke about the transfer market, but he also spoke crucially about developing players within the club and thinking if Wijnaldum does leave, of course, he came through in Holland at Feyenoord. He was an attacking midfield player, still is when he plays for Holland. Just thinking, would there be scope for a player like Curtis Jones to learn from Jeannie Wijnaldum and take on that role. He's been playing in the midfield for Liverpool in pre-season. He's, of course, an attacking player. He's, he's got those similar attributes in terms of ball retention and being able to to shuttle around the pitch. He's certainly a mobile player. He is. But what I'd say, I think at the moment, is Curtis Jones has probably just got to focus on his, his own game, his, his natural game, and one that he's, he's trying to kind of impose. Um, I wouldn't be too concerned with trying to give him a new role and a new kind of skill set at this stage of his career. He's only just 19, is he? Um, coming into his first real proper season as a Liverpool first teamer. So I think he just needs to kind of be left to to his own devices and focus on what he's good at and, and improve that for now. And then when he matures a little bit in two, three, four years' time, then you can kind of look at it and think, well, can he add a little string to his bow in the midfield area? But for now, I wouldn't be worried about turning... Curtis Jones from a, an eight to a six, per se, or, um, you know, he's even played in the front three for the under 23s, played on the left or the right. So I just focus on him playing his natural game for now. He's going to be a player down this season, though, Curtis Jones, who's going to be chomping at the bit. And whatever Jurgen Klopp asks him to do, I'm sure he's going to, he'll say, if Jurgen Klopp says jump, he'll say how high. He'll be desperate to play many games for Liverpool this season. 
Absolutely, and I think he's already shown that in pre-season. I mean, I, I had the, the task of, of reporting on uh, the, the the opening friendly last Saturday against Stuttgart, and he started the game. It was it was a very strong starting eleven. You know, he, he played two different 11s for each half, but I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure that you know that that must have been one of the strongest starting eleven that Liverpool have named for an opening pre-season friendly in a long, long time, if ever. Apart from uh, Trent Alexander's. Uh, Alexander Arnold's got a minor injury, so was at home. So Nicker Williams was a was a right back, but apart from Curtis, it was basically the first choice. You know, a full strength team, the front three, the rest of the back five, and Cater and Fabinho alongside him in midfield. And Curtis was as good as any player on the pitch. I mean, it, it seems strange to say in such a short time since the last season, but he seems almost like it filled out a little bit during the summer. Um, I maybe had this you know, perception in my head of him when he came through. He's kind of like he. He's more of an attacking player. He's always going to be, you know, on the free, you know, almost the link between the midfield and the attack. But he was he was all over the pitch, you know, linking the play with the back four and doing his tracking back and getting his tackles in. And you know, I, I, I think there's every chance he could go on to become as versatile a player as Gini Wijnaldum. But I would very much doubt that the Gini Wijnaldum at 19 was the Gini Wijnaldum that we've seen at Liverpool over the last few years. You know, that, that kind of experience and know-how around the pitch is only achieved through... Years of playing, you know, and and taking the knocks and and learning from you, learning from your mistakes. So I think Gorsi's absolutely right. It's important that Curtis, you know, keeps his eyes on, keeps his keeps his focus, doesn't start trying to become, you know, the next big thing. Listens to the the good coaches and the advice from, uh, you know, the senior players as well around him. And he he, he just you know it, obviously for, it, it's always great to see a scouser in the team, isn't it? You know, he, but he he seems to understand what a massive opportunity he has. And he seems, you know, touch wood to be determined to make the very best of it. And I think we're all really looking forward to seeing how that plays out. Yeah, certainly. Maybe then, Theo, if it's not Curtis Jones, and we don't know, obviously, how the market will play out for Liverpool. Jurgen Klopp said as much himself in, in recent days and echoed that today in his, his press conference. So looking elsewhere in the squad, then, is there more onus this season then, even more than we've already spoken about, on Naby Keita to step up and ensure that he can be a regular option for Jurgen Klopp to turn to? We've spoken about the, the amount of minutes that Ginny Wijnaldum's played or even someone maybe like Marco Gruich if he doesn't find a move away from Liverpool to try and work his way into the plans. Yeah, it's one where you look at it, Liverpool have so many midfield options and they have got different skills, different different capabilities. You can throw James Milner in that as well. Now he's not an option that's left back so much. But I think for Liverpool, it's always been the way they've progressed under Jurgen Klopp. You think when he first came through, it was give the ball to Coutinho and he will unlock defences. It's all about playing through him. When he left, it was that uh, adapting to the fullbacks with Trent and Andy Robertson and seeing what they could do. And whilst it's always been effective, whether it was Coutinho or the fullbacks, and Liverpool, to an extent, have become predictable. Teams know what they're going to do. And whilst it's very hard to stop it, we do occasionally see it getting stopped. Atletico Madrid is probably the, the most obvious one from the past season. And when you look at Liverpool's midfielders, whilst they've got these different talents, um, Jurgen Klopp never goes to them, right, he's going to unleash them and have the fullbacks sit deeper. And it's one where they have to do this horses for courses sort of role. And it's how he's pretty much always approached it. Like we've seen Jordan Henderson throughout his Liverpool career, how talented he is going box to box. Um, but however, what was it, two years, he was good number six, wasn't he? And Jurgen Klopp realises that with his midfield, they are going to have to be that engine room so he can get the best of his team elsewhere. Um, but when you've got players like Naby Keita, I think when he came, it was before Jurgen Klopp fully 
unleash the fullbacks. And it was the hope that he could be this creative link in midfield, running forward, unlocking defences, setting up goals. And we've seen glimpses of it. If he had been at his best for the two years he'd been at Liverpool, if we'd seen the player we'd seen in Germany, who knows what Liverpool's game can be. They could have a very different style. They could, Or they could just alternate from one to the other. Um, Marco Gruic is one where you think if there's an offer, Liverpool probably need to sell just because he's not going to get the game time, is he, when they've got so many options. And who would you rather give the minutes to, Curtis Jones or Marco Gruic? And then it's just what Jurgen Klopp wants to do going forward. Does he want to bring in a playmaker like Thiago or does he want to keep it pretty similar as it is? Blood Curtis Jones into the team. Obviously, we'll have the debate every so often. Should Trent be in midfield? He's got so many options there. He's got quite a few decisions to make. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. We've spoken then on Lionel Messi. We've spoken about Jeannie Vijnaldum. Let's then look ahead to Saturday's game with Arsenal at Wembley in the Community Shield. Gorstian, one man who I suppose has been pushing through pre-season to stick around at Liverpool first and foremost, but maybe even be pushing for a start in this game, is Rian Brewster. Yeah, Rian Brewster, yeah. To, what was asked about him, wasn't he? He said no decision has been taken on his, his next step. Um, as many as six Premier League clubs have actually contacted Liverpool about him and, and the three relegated clubs from last season as well. So he's got, you know, a whole host of clubs who were after him because of his impressive second half of the season at Swansea where he scored 11 and 22. Um, Sheffield United, it was reported yesterday that, that they're kind of in pole position, but um, I was told last night that while they're desperate for him, Liverpool are kind of uh, relaxed about the situation and haven't yet made the decision. And that was something that the club said themselves today. So, um, I think, I mean, there's still there's still a good while, isn't it, before the, the transfer window closes. And you could have a, a scenario where Real Brewster plays two or three games in the Premier League this season before making the move to someone else on loan for the season, I think. Uh, long-term, his future's at Liverpool. Uh, don't think there's any question that Liverpool have had massive hopes for him for three or four years now, and, and the family just started to see him kind of mature and, and, and develop. Um, I'd like to see him go on loan for the season, Um it's a big question as to who was kind of best suited to, to have him at this stage. But I think just seeing him every week in the Premier League and seeing how he gets on and, and improves as a footballer would be um, be interesting to see. But for now, no decision has been made. Yeah, no, it is definitely an interesting one. I suppose even before lockdown and everything like that, the decision had been made that the Premier League wouldn't shut its transfer window before the first game of the season, as has been the case for the last few seasons, Dan. And I suppose then for Rian Brewster, really, going off what Gorsty says, he's in the ideal situation and it's the ideal situation for Liverpool too to be able to take a look at him and then maybe come October, early October, they can potentially move him on loan to another Premier League side. Yeah, it, it's a kind of it's a scenario that really can kind of suit all parties. Really, you know, while there is this kind of uncertainty over a variety of matters within the transfer market, it makes sense for Klopp to have as many options at his disposal as he may need. And then, as we get into September and into early October, you would imagine things would start to then become a little bit clearer. <clears throat> I, you know, I, I would certainly hope to, to see him get a run out at, at, at Wembley tomorrow. Um, I'm, I'm just, you know, it, it's. It, it's a shame it, it, it's behind closed doors. I mean, I, I've, I've always been quite fond of the Charity Shield. The first time I ever went to Wembley was the 1992 one when Liverpool lost 4-3 to Leeds and Eric Cantona got a hat-trick. Some people may kind of turn their nose up at the Charity Shield, but at the end of the day, you're, if, if you're in it, it's because you've done something special the year before. And, you know, it, it's the, quote, traditional curtain raises to, to the season, but everyone's aware of it, everyone watches it. 
everyone everyone wants to be in it. Um, and it's you know I, I really enjoyed the trip. Yeah, the, the, the trip to Wembley last year when Liverpool took on Manchester City. I felt it it was an important day in Liverpool season really, and in and in the journey of the last couple of years when after you know a poor first half, Liverpool really gave City a bit of a batter in the second half. Should it, you know, equalise? Should really have won the game in normal time. And even though they lost the penalty shootout, I remember walking out the ground thinking, feeling really hopeful and optimistic and kind of almost taking it as a moral victory. So it's it's disappointing for 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 us as fans, for 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 Brewster and and, and for everybody involved that that it will be behind closed doors. But it's a big opportunity for uh, you know for Rian if he gets on the pitch to show again what he can do. Took his two goals in, in midweek against Salzburg superbly well. And I think it probably would make, you know, there's a part of me, Potter's been talking about for a good few years now, and there's a part of me that would like to see him kept on. But I guess, you know, the likelihood is, you know, if, if Salah Mane and Firmino will stay fit, how much is he going to play? I did notice in one of the interviews he gave after the Salzburg game on Tuesday, he spoke about how beneficial uh, his loan spell at Swansea had been for him. <clears throat> and particularly made reference to kind of like playing adult football. That's how you really mature as a player. And I think we've already seen an element of that from him. But but I would hope it would be, <clears throat> no disrespect to Swansea, I hope it would be a step up from that, whether that's a Premier League club or a Bundesliga club. I think, you know, to, to hopefully maintain his upward curve of development, I think he needs to, you know, be pushed up, be, be pushed up a level because so far every time he has been pushed up, he's responded. Yeah, and we were very intrigued as to how he'd get on at Swansea, Theo, and make no bones about it, his goals put Swansea into the playoffs at the end of last season. Of course, he, he did score in the playoff semi-final, but even looking at since he's come back to Liverpool, he's got the three goals in two matches during pre-season. Divock Origi has been injured and not been able to, to be chosen. I just wonder, maybe, just maybe, if he's even sneaking up that pecking order and uh, beyond a player like Divock Origi for offering something in that central striking position? Well, we've seen it before, haven't we, when um, Liverpool's striking pecking order has changed across the season from Danny Ings, Dominic Solanke, Daniel Sturridge, Divock Origi coming in from the cold, and they've all put in these performances to get their chance, but they've just not shown enough to break up the front three. And <laughs> Who is going to be able to break up the front three? They're that good. Um Divock Origi, he didn't have the best season last year. You wanted to see him push on after his heroics the year before. But then it's when the front three are available every week, every game, barely missing any football. He, he was pretty much being shoe on, wasn't he, out, on, out wide. He was very rarely getting his opportunities central. And it's going to be one of those where with Ryan Brewster, you don't really want him to be in that role where he's just getting scraps. Because when he's such a young lad, it's all about momentum. He needs to keep pushing on and building it. So for me, it's on a toss of a coin. If you keep him, you have to play him. You have to give him opportunities because he's full of confidence now. He's shown his ability. Um, I think it's not just for Swansea. It's his uncompetitive record for Liverpool. It's like seven goals in eight games now. He scores goals when he gets chances. So to get chances, he needs to play football. Uh, if you look to not this season, next season, well, then you'll have the Africa Cup of Nations he will get opportunities there, won't he, in the first team? The front three, they're that much close to 30. You have to look to the future, and he is very much going to be part of that future. Origi's own future, it's up in the air. If we weren't in this pandemic, then maybe he would have been moving on this summer. And it's all, there is a natural progression there, a natural replacement in Rian Brewster. And it's you look at him, well, is he best staying at Liverpool, playing the Liverpool way, having Klopp's arm around his shoulder and learning that way? Or do you want him to just go out play football week in, week out, score goals week in, week out. 
I think it varies from player to player and their own mentalities. So if we look back to January, Curtis Jones, he was being linked with a low move away, but he's a scouse lad. He's always wanting to play for Liverpool and they took the decision to keep him. And that looks to have done him the world of good. But then we've seen Marie and Brewster go out to Swansea and that's done him the world of the good. It just depends on each individual player. Um, Brewster, I think like most young strikers, he needs to have a bit of an ego about him. He's got that. He'll want to play games. He won't want to sit on the bench. It's part of the reason why he did go out on loan in January last year. He's had that taste of training with Liverpool and now having had that taste of playing games, he's not going to want to go back to just being a bench warmer when um, substitutions look like it's not going to be five players now. It's still hard to see him getting the opportunities he wants in his favourite position. So Liverpool, if they do loan him out, they need to get it right. We've seen in the past when they haven't. So Sheffield United, of course, he's mentioned there. I think back to um, a couple of years ago, Ben Woodburn barely got a sniff with them. You think, well, they play the wing-backs formation, don't they? The 3-5-2. Well, Liverpool never play that formation. If Brewster's up front for Liverpool, he's up front in his own. So it needs to be a move where it's going to be like for like. So if you're saying, right, go free, have this season elsewhere, it's at least a system and a style that is similar to what he'll be back uh, playing when he is back at Liverpool, whether that's this year, next year, whenever. Yeah, interesting. And you mentioned Sheffield United. Of course, they 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 often play with two strikers, but they do have players around the place. David McGoldrick, Ollie McBurney and Billy Sharp, who I think each one of those, maybe Rian Brewster could learn something off of. Of course, he is still a young player and will be developing and learning. But let's talk more then about the game. And Gorsley, Dan alluded to it before, how he felt coming away from Wembley last year and the Manchester City game. It really did feel, as much as we perhaps deride the community shield, that it really did set the template for Liverpool through through the course of the season. They didn't get the win. They didn't win the match, but they saw what they were up against in Manchester City and realised we can't let up even from the start. And of course, started last season so well. Yeah, exactly. I think, remember watching that, that game last year, particularly the second half, thinking that uh, Liverpool hadn't made any signings as, as European champions and there was a few question marks over whether that was the right policy. But I think just watching that second half, Liverpool absolutely hammered City and should have won the game, really. They, they were beaten on penalties and, and were quite unfortunate. But it was maybe a little, kind of a little tonic that, that made you think, OK, well, Liverpool aren't, you know, not a busted flush by any means and they're ready to go again. And, and so they proved over the course of the season. So I'm thinking it might be a similar situation tomorrow where, once again, Liverpool haven't really moved into the market and people are questioning whether they can carry on. And, and we hear this phrase, standing still, which to me is laughable really because of Liverpool are standing still they're getting 97, 99 points again aren't they and that'll win them the league but um, if they do kind of as we expect there are no massive incumbents then this is the squad that's going to try and retain the title then I think tomorrow against the decent Arsenal side who are kind of got the wind in the sails now haven't they with winning the FA Cup and Arteta's got his, his blueprint I think Liverpool put on a decent show and a good performance and win the game and that'll kind of stand out a little bit of a statement to show that you know you can sign whoever you like, but uh, we're the team to beat. Yeah, Dan, what do you make of coming up against Arsenal? Obviously, finished well off the pace in the Premier League last season, but since they beat Liverpool in July at the Emirates, Mikel Arteta's spoken about how that gave them confidence. They beat Manchester City and Chelsea to win that tournament, and Mikel Arteta does seem to have them set up in quite a stubborn way. It does seem they play with an intensity that, even if you're saying this is a third preseason friendly, it, it is a, a step up along the road from Stuttgart to Red Bull Salzburg, then maybe to Arsenal. It does seem, I don't think Jurgen Klopp could probably have handpicked a better side, given he'll have two weeks until the first game with Leeds after. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it 
it will certainly be a step up from from Salzburg on uh, Tuesday. And obviously, we saw in the first half that Salzburg it caused Liverpool a fair few problems, and and were two 0 up at half time and could have could have been in front by more. I think that you know um, Arsenal have been pretty impressive really since. Uh, but it's certainly the last period of lockdown. I think I'm right in saying the first game after was a fairly insipid 3-0 defeat away at City. And I do remember seeing Arteta's interview afterwards and he, was, he wasn't he was ranting and raving, but he was quietly seething. And you could t- you could tell that, um, you know, that there's, you'll know more than us, obviously, Guy, but you know, that there's a lot of, you know, issues behind the scenes at Arsenal in terms of ownership and finance. And, you know, I think that, you know, they're looking at, what, a third or fourth year without Champions League football which obviously doesn't make Arteta's rebuilding job any easier. However, I think he's shown in you know, his short time in the job so far, he's really done all that could have been expected of him and more. You know, to have, you can argue about you know, beating Liverpool when they did. Liverpool had won the league weeks before and were arguably, you know, certainly mentally on the beach. But to, to win the FA Cup by beating City and by beating Chelsea, you know, some years you can, you, can, you, can beat the FA, you can win the FA Cup by beating no one. But they beat you know two of the best sides in the country to do that, and they will be very much looking at, at tomorrow as an opportunity of them putting a marker down to say, well, this isn't the kind of the fairly weak-willed Arsenal that you know the Premier League has been has seen really over the last five to ten years. This is a new broom. It's a slightly different dynamic for Liverpool, whereas last year you know Liverpool were going in against the champions, were were second favourites. It was almost Liverpool who were looking to put the marker down to City to say, well. All right, you might have beat us by one point last year, but we're coming for you again. <clears throat> it's a slightly, it's a slightly different dynamic this year. Also, as well, the fact that there's a two-week break. I think you know, Klopp will want to win. Of course, he will. They want, they want a good performance. They want goals. They want another trophy on the cabinet. But I think more than anything else, he will look. It, it, I don't think you know. I'd be surprised if all play with quite the same intensity in various patches of the game, just because of the different kind of context to the match. Um, and you know, it, 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 we may well see that in, in, in a team selection. Um, you know, he, he named you know, the front three have started both three both friendly so far. It's a big call to say that Rian Brewster or, or, or Rigi might start it tomorrow, but it wouldn't surprise me if Klopp, bearing in mind as well the players are about to go off on international duty, if he did just mix things up a little bit. And um, obviously, there'll be you know a number of is it five subs tomorrow or three? Do we know? Five. I think you can have the community show. Yeah. So, so again, that gives him the opportunity, you know, the opportunity to kind of utilise his squad maybe a little bit more than he would do in a in a in a league game. So it, it should be fascinating. Yeah, it certainly should be. Theo, get your views on the in- importance of the Community Shield. I was all thumbs and fingers trying to work this one out, so I might be wrong, but by my math, six of the last uh, 20 matches played, six of the winners in the last 20 since the turn of the millennium have gone on to then be champions and four of the losers in the Community Shield have, have gone on to win it. A lot of those games, of course, have gone to penalties. Do you think it is a significant game psychologically or in any way, or given it's Arsenal who Liverpool face, who quite frankly, they're not going to be challenging for the league title, it doesn't really make a difference? It was a very important game mentally last year. Um, when you look at how Liverpool put in their best ever campaign and finished one point short of the title, it was a chance having not made any signings to go up against City again, knowing that you weren't going to be at your best because it was that first game to see what you're really about, to silence some of the doubters. And I think Manchester City, they'd have come away from that game with a bit of complacency, thinking, oh, you've had your best ever season, we still won the league, you've given it your best shot here, you've not signed anyone and we've still beaten you. Whereas it gave Liverpool that knowledge that we're just as good as you here 
we might have been short the year before, but we can build on this. And it has that spikiness, doesn't it? That edge whenever it's with Manchester City now. And you just don't really have that with Arsenal, whereas we would have done, what, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Um, they're in the position that Liverpool are in five, 10 years ago when they were rebuilding. So it's a big chance for them to see how much progression they're making under Arteta. Uh, it would have been a different case for Liverpool, I think, 18 months ago before they started winning trophies. Now they've got the taste for them. They've got this winner's mentality that is going to be a case for them just picking up where they left off. And it's something they're going to need to do going into the new season, having won the league last year, because they know that they need to keep it going, show that the very best against everyone they play. Uh, but it's one of those where if you lose it, it's just a glorified friendly. It's all about getting minutes in the legs of the players. If they win, it's another sign. It's another statement that they are the team to beat in the season ahead. Yeah, certainly one to one to watch and everything like that. Of course, it is tomorrow at Wembley. Let's get then into our team selections. Gorsty, you said right at the top, it feels like we're back to the normal podcast routine on a Friday press conference before it, the podcast in the afternoon. And now we, we welcome back the, the team selections. And Jurgen Klopp was asked about team news ahead of the game. And of course, Jordan Henderson and Trent Alexander-Arnold of maybe that first choice 11 don't look like they'll they'll make this one. Yeah, well, Henderson definitely won't. He doesn't restart training with the, with the team until Monday, I think. Uh, maybe even Sunday if they've got a training session. Um, Alexander Arnold's hit and miss. I mean, I was told, was it the week before last, that he was kind of working to get fit for this game tomorrow. Klopp wasn't exactly too positive in his injury update, was he? So I think they might err on the side of the caution with him and, and Nico Williams comes in. Um, other than that, I'd still expect it to be fairly standard back four with Alisson, Gomez and Van Dijk, who's fine from that nasty knock to the head, and Andy Robertson on the left. Yeah, Dan, what are your thoughts? Nico Williams then slotting into that right-back role with the rest of the, the back five, as it were, in place? I think so, yeah. I mean, bearing in mind Trent hasn't had a minute of pre-season friendly action yet, I think it would be it'd just be unthinkable that Klopp would throw him straight in at Wembley against a side like Arsenal. And Nico's done really, really well. Um, Brian Giggs spoke um, earlier this week. He, he, he got his first senior international Welsh call-up this week. And uh, Ryan Giggs was saying how impressed he's been with him and how how much you know, how, how how pleased he is. Because there was, there was a suggestion he could possibly defect and play for England. But how pleased he was that Nico seems to have, um, you know, put his, put his, hug his hat on the, the Welsh Dragons uh, hook. And um, yeah, I, 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 I would be. I look forward to seeing him play because you know, he, he, he likes to get forward. He can he can throw a tackle in, and he looks really promising. A topic for another pod, maybe Theo. But does it show that Liverpool maybe are a touch like still in defence? If you thought maybe you could put Gomez to right back, Matip obviously still undergoing his own rehab during pre season. They they don't really have any other option than the back four we've laid out, do they? Not massively, but they've got a lot of talented youngsters that Jurgen Klopp has put faith in. And more often than not, the ones that he keeps in the squad deserve to have been kept in the squad. That's why Nico Williams is there. He'll be starting tomorrow, you'd imagine. And why, say, Yasser Larucci barely got a sniff last year and he'll be moving on. Uh, Liverpool look at them in training. They see the ability and make the decisions on the future on who has got the talent to be part of this first team squad. And it's not just sentimentality to have a couple of kids involved. It's because they believe they can make a real impact. And Nico Williams has, ever since he's had his first opportunities, he's really impressed everyone whenever he's played. He's had a couple of iffy moments, but you'd expect that for a young player. We've seen the exact same with Trent a couple of years ago. 
Um, tomorrow, if he starts, will be a huge test for him because you think, well, Arsenal will probably have a Bamiyang on the left wing. Um, you're not going to face against more of a formidable winger, are you, as a, a young fullback? But he's going to be full of confidence having his first international call up. Now he's got a chance to play at Wembley. Um, he's won a few trophies already in his young Liverpool career. But this will be a first chance for him to really make an impact and actually play the full 90 minutes. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what he can do if you go through the, the rest of the defence. Um, I'd imagine we'll see Simicast make his debut just to give him his debut, but that won't be to start. There's no need to really rotate it up when it is at the same time as being the curtain raiser. It is another preseason friendly to get the uh, energy in the legs. So it'll be a second half substitute. And the centre-back options, um, Liverpool, well, we've seen the youngsters in pre-season. Nat Phillips has come back. Kometio's done well. So it'll be a chance for Jurgen Klopp if he wants to bring one of them on or have them on the bench to have them as part of the squad to see if they really can be member of this team for the season ahead or if he will need to dive into the transfer market for another centre-back before uh, early October. Yeah, certainly. Of course, the Jurgen Klopp was asked about Virgil van Dijk. We, we should mention... Uh, said he doesn't look good, but there's not anything to do with the injury. That's obviously the cut he took to to the face. And also just wanted to get your your views then maybe on the midfield three for, for Liverpool. Um I don't think that I don't think Liverpool are really in a position to to kind of rest and rotate and throw out appearances for, for players who aren't going to play a significant part of the season. So I think it'll be fairly straightforward. I think it'll be Wan Aldum. I think Fabinho and obviously without Jordan Henderson and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain then you look at Abby Cater. Fair enough. Dan, do you agree with that or are you looking maybe at James Milner, that steady Eddie experienced player who could come into that midfield three? It, it's interesting because, you know, the that was the three that started, I think I'm right in saying that is yeah. the three that started against Salzburg in yeah. midweek. And, you know, they didn't entirely cover themselves in glory. Now, obviously, it's a different game. It's a different, you know. I, I think I, I think I'm right in saying Liverpool actually trained on the morning before the match, didn't they? Against, against Salzburg, and obviously they've been kind of put through the paces. So, you know, I think that to some degree can account for um, a little bit of the chasing that they got in the first half. It's a fifty-fifty one, really. I, you know, I think it would maybe be Fabinho, or I, I would like to see Cater, um, certainly given his head, because I think you know he potentially can provide that link between the midfield and the attack and has the opportunity to kind of build on his progress in recent times. Um, I probably would, yeah, I, I probably would keep it as it is with with Fabinho and Wijnaldum. But, you know, James Milner, I think, will have a huge part to play for Liverpool this season. I may well have a big role to play tomorrow, whether, you know, coming off the bench, you know, we've said it many times, but there's, there's very few better first subs you can have in a game than Milner, no matter what, you know, no matter what the state of the game is. He will always be able to read the situation and kind of tailor whatever tailor his performance to what the team requires. Yeah, certainly. Well, Theo, let you have your say on the the midfield and also what forward three you'd go with. I think there's probably no prizes for for guessing how Jurgen Klopp's going to line up that forward three. Um, yeah, with the midfield, I think it's pretty much what the other two have said. Um, I would potentially like to see Curtis Jones given a game, but at the same time, the way you're choosing your midfield is going to be a statement about the rest of the season, I feel. So say um, when Aldum didn't start, you'd imagine that means he might be moving on before the end of the window. Um, James Milner, he's a good one to have off the bench just because if it goes to penalties, that's a 1-0 head start, isn't it? In a shootout, you just know he's going to score. Um, Naby Keita, he needs to grab every opportunity he gets. He was so impressive following the restart. I see no reason to change things up 
by dropping him out when he's got a bit of momentum and he's making a difference. So those are the obvious three. And then the front three, uh, you, you could give Brewster a game, but over the course of the season, if he's at Liverpool or not, it is going to be the traditional front three up front and he's going to have to be coming in as a substitute in games if he's still on the books. So uh, yeah, Salah, Firmino, Mane. Anybody argue with that or anybody want to give Brewster a go from the start? No arguments. No. It, it, it's a trophy it's there to be won. They haven't really clicked yet from three, have they? But it's only a matter of time. I think they actually probably need the minutes together. Right. And in terms of score predictions, I'll I'll kick things off. 2-0 Liverpool, I think. That's very optimistic for you. Yeah, exactly. Traitorous gunner. Well, you know, I have to I have but to be a realist. Off, I have right. to be a realist. <laughs> Two one Liverpool. Three one Liverpool. Two one Liverpool. Right, well we'll have to see how that does play out. We'll be back on Monday, of course, with the next edition of the Blood Red Podcast. Don't forget post game will be with you on the Blood Red Podcast feed on Saturday evening after the game at Wembley. We will be back on Monday, as I say. If you can give us a rating or review wherever it is you listen to the podcast or go and find our YouTube channel on the uh, Blood Red YouTube page and uh, yeah, subscribe and tell all your mates about it too. That would be more than appreciated. But from myself, Guy Clark, Dan Kay, Theo Squires and Paul Gorst, thanks for your time and your company. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.